We are in 2 Peter, and in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we are looking at a set of life amplifiers. Peter writes, to your faith add or supplement your faith with virtue. And then after virtue, it is self-control, virtue. Come on. Well, I don't even remember it. How should I expect you to? <laughs> There's a, a long list, and we're about halfway through them, of what I call them amplifiers. The scripture says supplement your faith with these things, but it's, it's, it's literally, the idea behind it is add this to what you've got going on. The core of who you are in Christ Jesus begins with faith. Am I right? An awful lot of people, that's the whole story to them. I've come to faith, so I'm a Christian, game over. But that's not consistent with the New Testament, with Paul or Peter or Jesus. We come to faith, and that's where life really begins for us. That's where the journey begins. And Peter writes about adding, supplementing your faith with these multipliers, multipliers. And so today we're going to take the next one, which is steadfastness. Father, I pray that you would open our understanding, bring us to a place of maturity in you. Amplify, our, blow, blow it up, Lord. Just turn it up loud inside of us, the presence of Jesus, that we would not timidly be hiding someplace on the sidelines with a testimony that is muted, but rather, O oh Lord, that we would live out your character in the world, that people could not ignore the message for the reality of it. And so, Lord, bring these amplifiers to bear in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching the Olympics from Beijing back in 2008. Maybe you were watching, too, when Usain Bolt blew onto the world stage, blew everyone away at the 100 meters. You're looking at the best 100-meter sprinters in all of the world, and Bolt is starting to look behind right there. He just started to look behind, and he started to sell it. He was that far out in front. It was an amazing moment in sport. He still, to this day, to this day now, 11 years later, he still holds the world record at 9.58 seconds. Fastest man on the earth. Now, Bolt is a once-in-a-generation athlete. And with his six-foot-five frame, he could probably have excelled in any sport, any sport whatsoever that he trained for. But all of his life, after his adolescence, Bolt trained to be a sprinter. And so if he turned up in Beijing in 2008, he wouldn't have lined up like, say he had turned up at the start of the marathon. This is the sprint. Say he had turned up at the start of the marathon where everybody just kind of stands in a group and said, I've just decided that I want to try the marathon. I think I'd really excel at the marathon. Well, first of all, he wouldn't have been allowed to do that, and we would say, that's crazy. No one runs the marathon unless they train for the what? Okay. It's, oh, you can answer here. It's a safe zone. You're safe here. We've got a little placard out on the side of the building, a little, you're safe. So you, you, don't, you don't run the marathon unless you train for the marathon, even if your name is Usain Bolt and you are bigger than life. You run what you train for. Champions must train specifically. That specific training and all that it entails shapes one of the most accurate life metaphors found in all of the scriptures. Paul is continually repeating this idea of physical training as a metaphor for spiritual training and endurance. He does it with the Philippians. He does it with the Galatians. The author to the Hebrews, whoever, whoever it was, compared life to a race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. Throughout the New Testament, these illustrations are used because life is a race, but it's not a sprint. It's not 9.58 seconds to glory. Wouldn't it be great if we could just win the whole thing with just 9.8 seconds? 
I mean, that would really, 5-8, five, five, wouldn't, wouldn't that be super if we could just accomplish everything we need to accomplish in life as far as really making it all work in a flash? But life's not that way. Life's not even the mile. Life's not the 5,000 meters. It's not even the marathon. Life is the ultimate ultra marathon from the cradle to the grave. It's a long run. And without specific training for the ultra, we will fail every time. We will fall short time and time again without specific training. So here again, the words of Peter, who lays out essentials for a life that keeps moving forward. From 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control, here's the one this week, with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to warn, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed of his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. One of the most astounding statements I've read in all of the New Testament. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you'll be richly provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already unpacked three of the supplements or amplifiers to faith, virtue, then knowledge, then self-control. How about this morning, steadfastness? Now, the Greek word Paul uses here for steadfastness is also translated as endurance and perseverance. So, depending on what version you're reading and how it's translated, endurance, perseverance, steadfastness, all from the same root. What is it? Well, it's, it's what I would call stick-to-itness. Stick-to-itness. And I know that's not a word, but it does communicate, doesn't it? And, and by the way, why can't we create our own words? Somebody created the words you're speaking right now. Somebody came up with your name, for pity's sake. They made it up out of broadcloth. Why can't we create words? I've decided that I'm going to start my own new language. I'm starting with a brand new word. This is a brand new word with me, and I think it goes well with the message. So I've settled on, instead of stick to itness, I've settled on stubbornity. It's like modernity. Stubbornity. Stubbornity. It is the art of being stubborn. The scripture is telling us when it calls us to endurance that we need to develop the art of being stubborn. I call that, forgive me, but I call that stubbornity. And I'll only create, I promise, one word per sermon. So that's it. Say stubbornity. Okay. You can add that to your vocabulary. Someone says that's not a word. You say, who says? Sometimes in life, you just have to be relentless, dogged, determined. Sometimes in life, you have to be decided. Nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to stand you. Nothing's going to make you lay down arms. Sometimes in life, you just have to be steadfast. I lay no claim to athletic prowess, but I do know a little bit about stubbornity. Because I have been schooled, I've been schooled in endurance. I know too well the road that stretches out on an endless horizon. The road that wears you down. The road that will not bend, the road that will not quit, neither mountain nor valley. I know, the, I know the long, long, long road. I've learned from this road 
And if you look way in the distance, there seems to be a line on the horizon and you say, well, there's some hills coming out there. There's not. When you get there, you are here for almost an entire day through the Chobi in Botswana. This is all you see. It's not the hills, it's not the heat, it's not the roads. The thing that breaks guys down more than anything else, their first time riding the Chobi with us, the thing that breaks them down is nothing changes out here. You're looking at the backside of the guy in front of you. You're looking at a road that is straight as an arrow that never bends, it never turns. You're looking at landscape that is the same from the moment you start in the morning till the time you get off the bike at the end of the day, and that sameness, that overwhelming sameness wears you down. I know this road too well. I also know the dangers that come with it. The dangers of losing your focus. The dangers of crashing. And that road, that aggregate surface is like a cheese grater. When you go down on it, it's gonna leave a mark. I know the pain on that road. I know what it's like to want to quit on that road. I know what it is it's like to struggle and to fail. Life is a long, long road. It's, it's an ultra. And at times, it has no bends, no ups, no downs. At times, you feel like you are stuck in a warp somehow, a time warp. You, you feel like you're stuck in a place that you just can't move ahead. You just can't get, you just have to keep going. And it's tough. Life teaches some hard lessons. I've learned this one. Without endurance, there's no way you'll finish. Somewhere along the way, you'll just quit. For those, for those who have struggled through the long, long run, how victorious Paul's summation of his own life must be. I, I have to say, in the hardest moments of my life, I have envied Paul for his saying this, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. I have, I've read that and thought, well, Paul, good for you. But I'm still fighting and I'm still running and I'm still trying to keep the faith. I don't think my hour has yet come. I don't think it's terribly close. I think I've still got some time left in my life. I'm still in the midst of my ultra. I can't quite celebrate yet. The Greek word for steadfast is such an, an interesting word. It means literally to remain, to remain, the idea is to remain behind under pressure. Now, as you tear this word apart, and you can do all this work for yourself in, in Strong's online and that type of thing, but as you tear the word apart, it carries the idea of this. The steadfast one is the one who remains when everyone else is bugged out. Steadfastness is you stay where others left. You remain under where others have just slipped away from the burden altogether. This steadfastness is first and foremost, it's the character of God. The steadfast love of the Lord, the Bible says, never what? It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He's Steadfast, he's all that and more. He's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We count on that. We count on the steadfast mercy of God. We, we count on the fact that he is true to his word and he has said, I'm going to be there for you. The steadfastness of the character of God God says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. 190 times in the Old Testament, we find God's love. God's 190 times in the Old Testament, God's love is described as his steadfast love. Look it up for yourself. The steadfast love of the Lord. You find it over and over and over again. These Old Testament writers could hardly talk of the love of God except to add this descriptive. It's a steadfast love. It's Stubernity for eternity. I worked hard on that this week. God's stubernity for eternity. And I promise no more of those either. I just wanted to lay it out there. This is who God is 
And this is what God expects of those who he made in his image. Do you realize that the characteristics that we find in the scripture that speak to character issues in our lives are always addressed by the character of our Father? God says, this is who I am. This is who you should be. I made you in my image. So if you want to, how do I act? How should I behave? What should, it, what should life look like for me? You need to, first of all, look at the character of God, and then you need godliness. You need to say, okay, I am going to be a reflection of the character of God. And steadfastness, when we are called to steadfastness, God is simply saying, reflect back to me the character that I have shown to you. Endure. You see, we weren't built for the sprint. We were made for the long run. I, I am not a sprinter. I remember being coaxed into, when I was about 26, pastoring my first church. They had a, a boys like a field day at the church, and they had, all of, they had a, a race course marked out and everything else, and I'd run in high school and everything. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm up to get in there and have some fun with the boys and show them that their, their pastor's okay and all that. And they decided to do a, I don't know if I should tell this story. They decided to do a sprint, and Kelly, I remember Kelly Cousins, um, he was the fastest boy in the youth group, and so I decided I'd challenge him. I'd take him on. Problem is, I'm not a sprinter. Never was a sprinter. Had a moment of sheer madness when I accepted the challenge. And so if you're going to do, go all the way, right? If you're, if you're going to do this type of thing, then go to the wall. And so I did. And then ran straight behind the bleachers and lost everything I'd had for breakfast, lunch, and, and three weeks before. I realized at that moment that when it comes to running, sprinting is not me. I don't have that fast twitch muscle fiber. Don't, some of you are already worried about that story. And that's a little much, Pastor. We'll put the first service online, okay? So don't worry about it. Anyways, I don't have, any fast, I don't have much fast twitch muscle fiber. All of mine is the slow twitch stuff. So I was built for endurance. Not for, not for the sprint. Spiritually, we are not built for the sprint. Spiritually, we're built for endurance. But you've got to train yourself to endure. You've got to train yourself. So let me suggest four vulnerabilities. Everyone who will persevere, everyone who will endure, four vulnerabilities that must be addressed the first vulnerability revolves around energy. We lose energy and we fail. The loss of energy comes down to a failure to fuel. A failure to fuel. You see, you cannot continue, and that's what life is really all about, continuing. You cannot continue unless you feed yourself. This fueling of the soul gives you endurance for the long run, but if you're not feeding your soul, you're going to run out of energy. Our souls are fed by the Word of God, primarily the Word of God. We're strengthened in fellowship. There are a number of ways that, that the Lord will work and move in our lives, but the primary way that he feeds and strengthens and sustains our soul is by his Word. By his Word. We need a daily intake of the Word of God, daily. If you're getting by every week on the half a dozen scriptures that I may share on a Sunday morning and you say, well, I got my word for the week, and I'm telling you, you are, whether you know it or not, you are, if you could see in a spiritual mirror, you are a spiritually emaciated, near-death individual. You're dying if this is it. If you are not feeding yourself the word of God, how in the world are you going to be able to stand up against the onslaught that it's coming our way? How are you going to be able to stand in a time of testing? How are you going to be equipped to handle those moments when life completely comes off the rail? What are you going to do in that moment where there's a sudden diagnosis and you're trying to find some, some strength in the midst of it all? What are you going to do when crisis finds you along the way? Unless you are feeding yourself the word of God, you are in a deficit situation. We're supposed to feed ourselves the word. David said in Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. David compared the word of God literally to something delicious that he would have to eat. And we need to be feeding ourselves the word of God every day. 
What can energize the soul of man? Nothing compares to God's word. They're powerful. See, when God wanted to create the world, he just spoke. His words are, are powerful. Wherever he speaks, it's life-giving. It's creative. It is without boundaries. When God speaks, suddenly we're dealing with a power that is capable to do above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He says, the Bible tells us that the entire cosmos and every living creature in it are brought into being by words. John selects the term word to account first and last for what is most characteristic about Jesus, the person at the revealed and revealing center of the Christian story. Remember John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Language spoken and written is the primary means for getting us in on who God is and what he is doing. His word. There's no substitute for his word. By his word, God feeds the soul. Where there is famine, a famine of God's word, it is manifest in spiritual emaciation and a generation that fails to thrive. I've learned this on the bike. If you ride more than an hour on the bike hard, then you've got to put something in to keep going. And if you don't, you're not going to be riding much longer. You will, you will suddenly lose speed, you'll lose power, you'll be in big, big trouble because when you ride for more than an hour, the stores of glycogen, this sugar that's stored in, in your muscles, the stores of glycogen after an hour, they're depleted to the point where if you are not replenishing them as much as you can, then your muscles no longer have what they need. The glycogen helps the muscle fire. So your, your muscles that have been firing like this and they've been eating up all of that glycogen, if you're not pouring more in, they will cease to function. They will lock down. You'll slow down. You will begin to, if you're, not getting, if you're not getting some sustenance and you keep going before long, not just your muscles as far as cramping is concerned, pretty soon all of the systems in your body begin to shut down. Now, sprinters don't need this. Five point or, or 9.58 seconds, you don't stop halfway through the sprint for a little lunch. The miler doesn't need this. But the ultra runner, you and me, we have to have it. And on the bike, on a long distance biking, you have to have it. It's essential. I've, I've learned for me, because everybody's different, everybody's physiology is different, but I had a coach help me, uh, also a, a guy who's really got his, really knows what he's doing with nutrition and, and, and all of that. I had these guys put a plan together for me because I'd get out on some of these long rides and towards the end, I'd just really lose energy and no matter how hard I trained, I wasn't getting there. And I found out that I wasn't eating enough and I wasn't eating early enough. And so the coach laid out for me, here's what you need to eat. And they laid the whole thing out. Here's how many calories. First of all, here's the maximum number of, of calories in these sugars that your body can absorb when you are at this level of exercise. So this is the maximum number that you can get. It doesn't matter what else you eat. Your body's not going to be able to process it. So here's the number. What we need to do, David, what we need to do is we need to get you to the place where you are on a regular basis taking in this number so that you can charge your batteries as much as you possibly can. You can't do it indefinitely, but it'll get you through that, in, that period of endurance. So... He laid out a plan for me, and all cyclists carry in the back of their jerseys here. We've got in our pockets, we've got gels and gummies and bars and, and fruit. I know a guy who, who takes a squeeze bottle full of, help us, sweet potatoes. And he blows those sweet potatoes through that tiny little hole. I, I just, I have to tell you, I'm hardcore. But I, I just, I can't watch him do it, let alone try it myself. I just, I watch him and I need to go to the back of the pace line and just stare at the ground for a while. It's just, I can't, I can't do that. But this year on the ride, I, I discovered something really special. Every year, Chris Peck over at the Greensboro Trek store, he has graciously uh, given us all of the, the food that we, that, that we 
use when we ride on bicycles, gels and bars and Stroop waffles and any of the processed stuff that's out there that's, you know, quick hit energy. It, it's, it's designed for cyclists so that when you take it down, it quickly goes through your system and gets the glycogen to the muscles as quickly as possible. Well, every year, Chris does this for us. We had some cross wires this year and Hope Ride was right upon us and we hadn't received all that stuff yet and Chris was still waiting for it, an order that he'd sent in to come in and when it looked like he was going to miss that window, this brother went out and he cleared his shelves in the shop. Boxes and boxes of stuff and he sent it over with, with the team. So I went over and first day of the ride, I just reached into the boxes and I took a handful of this, I took a handful of this, stuffed them in my, in my jersey and I felt like I had enough and, and I got out and on my first break, well not break, about 15 miles in because every 15 miles, 15 miles, 30 miles, 45 miles, 60 miles, 75 miles and then 90 miles, I take, I take usually a gel, something like a gel. So I reached back and I pulled out this thing, I found this, this is called Espresso love. <laughs> Not espresso love. Espresso love. And when I pulled it out of my pocket and I looked at it, I thought, I'm not going to like this. I have to tell you, I love. <laughs> espresso love. Man, I popped the top off that thing and took a big squeeze of, of half of the half the gel. And it was like... Uh, it's like the finest tasting French silk pie you have ever eaten. I promise you, right here. Right here. I know nobody's lining up to try it, but you just have to trust me. You say you're a desperate man in a desperate situation. I have to tell you, it is absolutely fa- sudden. It's a sudden burst of chocolate heaven with a caffeine punch. It is smoother than wallpaper paste. Once I tasted it, it stays in your mouth for a little bit too. I mean, it's, it's thick. And once, I, once I, I tasted that, I started trading away everything else in my pockets. I'm pulling up saying, you got, any, you got one of those? You got an espresso love? I'll give, you a, I'll give you a French toast and two Stroop waffles, but give me, give me that. Man, I, I'm, I, t- I, got, I got everybody's espresso love from the, entire, from the entire team. And as soon as I got to a place where I could get on the internet and get on Amazon Prime, I got a case of this stuff shipped to my house. Kids are coming over. Dessert tonight, guys. Dessert, dessert tonight. You're gonna, you're gonna love this. And and usually I save this, but halfway through the message. Oh my. Oh, that is so good. It's like a Snickers. Mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm I'm don't touch that because I'm gonna finish it later. So I discovered this. Espresso love, and at 15 miles, boom. At 30 miles, man, 45, 60, 75, 90. That's about 900 calories. And then when we stop, we do our stop breaks, I'll get a little bit of Coke. I never drink Coke except when I'm on a, on a long endurance ride because, again, it's that quick hit of sugar. And I found a frozen half Snickers bar. Mm. It is one of the finest things ever created. It really is. And, and, by the time I'm done, I've got my 14 to 1500 calories that my body can absorb, and so I can get I can get through it. If you don't properly fuel, you will experience what they call the bonk. Formerly known marathon ride uh, marathon runners used to call it hitting the wall, but it's actually it's it's a bodily form of treason. Everything in your body rebels. It's a collapse of your body, your form, your, 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 you can't think straight. Even in, you, you start, when you've truly hit this point of, of glycogen depletion and you've still got miles to go, you start thinking crazy things like, I'm going to burn this, I'm, I'm going to burn this uniform and I'm, I'm going to throw this bike in the ocean. When I, you lose your mind. Because you're, you're exhausted, you're, you're tired. I've bonked, I've bonked riding, I've bonked running. I've learned, I've learned if I'm not constantly fueling, then I'm going to be in big, big trouble. Listen, if you don't fuel the soul with the essential stimulus of God's word, you will reach a point of spiritual exhaustion and you will not be able to go on. You won't be able to go on. So how do we develop then 
endurance and steadfastness and perseverance? Well, first, we, we fuel our soul with God's word. But there are some other vulnerabilities. The second, the second vulnerability is pain. Injury or wounds will stop us in our tracks. I mean, pain is the body's natural megaphone that screams at you to stop. Pain. But we can't stop. Life doesn't stop. Have you noticed that life goes on whether you're doing well or not? The sun will come up tomorrow. Bet your body. Have you ever wanted to just slap that little girl? <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow is like, I just want everything to stop. I just, I want, I want this whirlwind to go away. I, I want to stop running so hard. I just need everything to slow down. When I was a boy growing up, there was a country song. I think it was Patsy Cline who sang the song, Stop the World and Let Me Off. I'm tired of going round and round. I played the game of love and lost, so stop the world and let me off. Man, can I relate? Not to playing the game of love and losing, but can I ever relate to wanting everything just to stop for a moment. You ever seen anybody in the, in the gym on the treadmill trying to impress someone by how fast they can go? And the treadmill gets away from them? It's a great moment. You know, they're running and they're looking around and they're looking. And then they're going faster and faster. And all of a sudden you can see it on their face. There's this moment of no return. It's like, this is too fast, this is too fast, too, this is too fast. And they reach down to touch the button, but they hit the wrong one and it goes faster. <laughs> you have this moment where there's two, one of two things is going to happen. One is, poof, poof, and they're gone. <laughs> right? Or, or they've learned. They've done this before. What, what's going on here? They jump off the treadmill onto those runners on the side that aren't going anywhere and they grab the sides and they're okay. Yeah. And they step off and they just have to eat that because <laughs> it's, everybody's watching them. And, but they just, have to, they just have to do that. Well, that's the world. You know, faster, 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 faster. And we want it just to stop. We just, we, we want it to stop and it won't. Stop. People are committing suicide in record numbers these days because they can't get off the treadmill. And they, they don't know how to cope with what they're, what they're dealing with and they, they want to stop and the only way they know to make it stop is take too much of this or take their lives into their own hands. Suicides increased by 33% since the year 2000. Life is hard. Life can hurt. And some just want the pain to stop. But the pain, the pain in almost all cases, pain is a temporary situation, not terminal. In almost every situation, pain is temporary. So what do you do? Well, to finish, you may need to slow down. You may need to walk a bit. You, you may need a little bit of help along the way. But you've got to keep moving forward even when life hurts. You can't go hide. you got to keep moving forward even when life hurts. I have found that those are the moments in life that I meet my healer in a whole new dimension. Those are the moments when I find dramatic spiritual growth takes place. Where in the midst of the hurt and the pain, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The old chorus said it, no turning back. I have found that those are moments of incredible development if I will walk through the pain. Paul has a pretty devastating injury list. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, here's how he describes ministry. Well, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 49 lashes, less one, so 39 times five. That's a lot of lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Whoa. 
in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in thirst and hunger, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. You think you're the only person who's ever had to deal with pressure and pain? I don't say that to diminish yours. I just want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. And if you have a litany of things in life that match Paul's, you need to know that the same grace that sustained him to write, I finished this course. I fought the good fight. That same grace is available to you. Paul didn't live a common life by any means, and I don't anticipate that many of us will follow that dangerous path, but pain is common to life, and steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, stubbornity will keep you and see you through. Has someone hurt you deeply? You want to withdraw? You just want to quit? You remember Usain Bolt? I opened the sermon with that. Story of that sprinter, 2008, how he burst on the scene. Let me tell you how he stepped off the scene. It was his last race. It was the 4 by 100 relay in 2017. And Jamaica was expected to blow everyone away because they had such a seasoned team. And Usain Bolt always ran the anchor leg. And he could make up for any deficit. But that day for... Reasons unknown, the Jamaican team left him when the baton was passed to him. They left him pretty much in a trailing position. And Bolt, being Bolt, did what he does best. He gave it everything that he had in that magnificent sprinter body. He poured on everything that he had. And halfway through at about the 50-meter mark in his leg, muscle let go in his left leg. And he went crashing to the ground. And the stadium fell absolutely silent. His Jamaican team, the three others, went running onto the track to, um, to try and aid him, to try and help him. Medical staff rushed out onto the track. Pretty soon a wheelchair appeared and it came out and they sat the wheelchair right beside him. But Usain Bolt would not get in the wheelchair. His friends helped him to his feet and then knowing him and reading his body posture, they backed off about one step. And Usain Bolt hobbled, walked to the finish line. And so he closed his career. He wouldn't get in that wheelchair. Some think it was a very sad way for a champion to go out. I think it was perfect. I think it was perfect. I think it teaches us. I think it's instructive. When you have that blowout and when you're on the ground and when pain is speaking to you and you wonder, you wonder if you've got it in you, what does he do? He gets up and if he has to hop on one leg, he is going to cross that line. Oh, that we had that spirit in us because life won't always hand you a winning scenario. If you haven't figured it out yet, not everybody wins in this life. Then again, it's not over till it's over. I would rather win there than here. Finish strong. Let's talk about the third, the third vulnerability. That's a loss of focus. This one's quick. A loss of focus. It's where you lose your situational awareness. Usually comes with fatigue. But you get your eyes off of what your eyes need to be on. And uh, before long... You know, you're lulled to sleep with the sameness of all of it. I've been riding a, a bike and endurance events for a, a lot of years now, and I've seen a lot of bad crashes, and those crashes always come. They seem to always come in the last 20 miles of 100 miles endurance. In the last 20 miles. This is what we've discovered in that last 20 miles, your body's tired, your mind is tired, everything is tired. You're weary, you've seen the same thing for the last 80 miles, and you just lose your focus and concentration. And that's when bad stuff happens. You lose your focus and your concentration. So we tell our teams, we tell our guys, if anything bad's going to happen, it's probably going to happen in those last 20 miles. So at that last break, that 75-mile break, I always say, if someone else doesn't say it first, guys, 
let's be, you know, now bring your A game. It's time to wake up. It's time to, you know, get, get yourself lined up. Stay in, don't, don't be, don't be all over the road. Now's time to concentrate these next, because if anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen because we have lost our focus. Another track metaphor that helps us understand this is we get out of our lane. Have you ever had someone say, stay in your lane? What are they saying? Saying, you got no business. When they say business with a D in it, you know they're serious. You got no business. You, you don't do that. Stay out of my lane. In other words, you, you, do, you make sure that you're not messing around in my life, in their life, in that situation. You stay in the lane. By the way, that's biblical. It's biblical because we find in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, we're to run the race that is set before us. We have a lane. We have a lane. And so don't lose your focus, especially when you're a little bit tired and you've got a lot of sameness in your life. Don't lose your focus. You'll lose your way. The aging apostle Paul knew that he was turning now the final trimester of his life, the final chapter of his life, when he addressed the Ephesian elders at Miletus. He had gone a long, long way, and now he was going to go to Jerusalem, and from there be imprisoned, and then sent to Rome, and then a, a brief reprieve in Rome, but then back to prison in Rome, and he would die. He would ultimately die in Rome. Paul knew this is the last chapter, and as he spoke to the Ephesian elders, listen to what he says. He says, I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. If only I might finish. Paul, in the last chapter, still had a laser beam focus that he was going to finish what God had started in him. Find your focus. Finally, last, motive. Motive, the great why when you are engaged in a feat of endurance, you need to have a clear grasp on why. Because you'll reach a point of exhaustion where you'll ask yourself that question. Why am I doing this to myself? I had that experience when I tried to become a golfer. I actually had men in the church who tried to make me a golfer, took me golfing every Monday, actually bought me clubs. I mean, they, they really, and, it was, and I was trying too, but they really tried to make me a, a golfer. The problem was, the prob, the, the, really, the core of it all was this. I've already confessed that I don't do skill sports. I have no skills. I, I, just, I just endure. So running and biking was good for me, but not golf. But I, I tried, I tried. I even went out and I would play without them sometimes trying to get a little bit better so it wasn't so miserable on Mondays when we would go play golf, you know. And so I was, and I remember the day I was walking. I remember I was on the 13th hole. I'm walking alone. I've got the bag on my shoulder. I'm chasing down an errant shot. I'm trying to find the place where the ball went in the woods. I know it was over, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that. And all of a sudden I had just this, this, this moment of, of stunning clarity. I don't even like this. <laughs> All this talk about being out in nature and everything, well, that's fine, but I'm not really digging this. I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this. I'm not good at this. Here was the question. Why am I doing this? I did not hunt for the ball. I hunted for the clubhouse. <laughs> and I dug out my keys and that night, I put my clubs that they had bought me, God forgive me, on eBay. <laughs> I would be lying to tell you I gave the money to missions. I wish I had. Motive. Why? You better have a why. Why are you doing this? You see, a moment ago we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And if you're not living your life for Jesus, you don't have a why. And so you're frustrated right now because you can't make life work and you can't find the strength to get through it and you've, you're all over the road and you're frustrated and you're weary. You need to understand until you get that motive, I live for Christ. 
You will not be able to find your way. Paul, Paul, when he wrote, he wrote with such simplicity. I love those short statements. I love it where Paul says, I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection, but I want to know Christ. I, I like it in, a, in a, even a simpler way where Paul said, for me to live is Christ. See, the Christian life is not merely a call to save your life. It's a call to live for Jesus. You need that powerful motive when life becomes a grind. On the bike in Africa, I don't much focus on the daily finishes. I, I know, I pretty much know where the finish lines are. And I've, you know, every day, I, I kind of know how the day's going to end because we generally will run the same course. So I don't think a whole lot about th those finish lines. When I ride, here's how I motivate myself. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the kids I think about the children. Why are we riding? We're riding so that children can know Jesus. That's why we're doing it. Drilling the wells and all of that, that gives us the opportunity to run the children's street. It's all about Jesus and for the kids. So I find time and time again during the ride when I need something to motivate me. I just dial up the memory, memory bank of what it was like Last time we came in and that tent was jammed full of kids. I know it's coming. And so it motivates me. Two years ago, as we came into Zambia, I'd say we were probably about 30, 35 miles into Zambia. We were going 80 miles was, um, was where the base was. So we had a little bit left to go. And all of a sudden, children from the children's churches in the villages that were along the main road who went to our children's they started running out to the road yelling hope ride hope ride and from their children's church they paint their own on white flags they paint their own christian flags and they put them on a stick and so you'd see kids running out i mean just running out from their village with this christian flag and all these little kids running as fast as they can go and it was it was amazing it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the prettiest pictures I could ever paint of these kids. It was this year, we were just 10 miles into Zambia and they were running to the roads. We believe that between 1,000 and 1,500 children ran to the roads as Hope Ride passed that day. And then when we arrived in Sioma and went back to the big tent that had been set up, set up in the Induna, the local chief was there and all of the tribal elders and the children were there and they were going to do a program for us that John Thomas had helped lay out when he did an internship over there. We walked into that tent and it was absolutely alive with these children and joy and uh, John Thomas had, had taught them a, a dance and choreography with Christian music. And the, the plan was, let's make sure that they use these songs and that they have to, when they dance, they have to sing. <laughs> so these children are singing these Christian songs at the top of their lungs as they're going through, through all of this stuff. We sat there mesmerized by these children. They were absolutely amazing. You sit there with tears in your eyes. You look into their eyes and you say, this is, this is what it's about. This is why I trained. This is why I suffered. This is why it hurt. This is why I came back after I fell down. This is why. For this. The Bible says of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had a motivation. What was it? To bring salvation to you and me. We are the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame, said, forget the shame. He is seated at the right hand of God. Why did he do it? He did it for you and me. There was a motivation a motivation that was so clear and clean for him. What's our motivation? For the author of Hebrews, the focus is Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's the author and perfecter. He's the beginning and the end. It doesn't matter who or what. It's always about Jesus. Motivation, it's Jesus. Consider him who endured sinners from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. So fuel up, saints. Fuel up. Work through the pain. If you got to slow down, you got to slow down, but keep moving. If it brings you almost to the stop, keep moving enough to where you can say it's real rehabilitation because I'm going to join the race here pretty soon. But just keep whatever you do. Keep, keep, keep moving. Stay in your lane. Get your nose out of everybody else's business. Stop caring more about the world than you do about Jesus. Stay in your lane and let your motivation be Christ and Christ alone. Earlier this week, Lindsay wrote a blog, my daughter Lindsay, excellent blog that outlined her journey. And I didn't ask permission to share this, but I'm going to anyways, and she'll forgive me later. She told about where she was in life when the door opened for her to go to the Philippines and work at APTS there. She was at a dead end. She had reached a plan. She shares in her writings in, in, as only she can, such a poignant way. What a dead end it was. So she goes to the Philippines and she says, I found God there. Not that she wasn't a Christian, but she found him waiting to really bless her life there. And she tells the story of how she endured all of these things and then what God unpacked in her life and what he gave her in Moon now and the girls as she looks at her life, she can't even, it doesn't look anything like the life that she once had because look what he gave her as she walked through all of those things. And I was about to write one of my, you know, dad and great job, Lindsay, and you know, the dad stuff, you, you write. You know, how many of you don't like it when your family members post on your Facebook page? Yeah, I, I, anyways. I was just going to write, great job, Lindsay, or something like that. And I saw a comment float up by Everett McKinney, who's a missionary. And uh, when I saw it, I, I thought, what's this old man got to say? And he wrote this. He said, you thought you were buried, Lindsay, but you were planted. You thought you were buried, but you were planted. And now new life is sprouting for you. I want to say to somebody here, you thought you were buried, but you're planted. And if you'll just walk on with him a little further, new life is going to sprout in you. Is there anyone who would just receive that this morning? You are not buried. You are planted. And what is going to come out of your life is going to be new. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be awesome. If you will walk a little bit further, you're not buried. You're planted. You're planted. Would you stand with us? Let's just worship him for a moment and then there'll be a challenge for us.